Hey, and welcome to the Christina Talks podcast. Now, I have a guest with me today who is an expert at dealing with probably one of the biggest issues that business owners face um, and one that they don't think about a lot of the time until it's too late. That's all I'm going to say for the moment. Um, yeah, let's let's get in and um, introduce today's guest. Hello, hello. Hey, Cliff, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That's exciting. It's very exciting. Very exciting. Um, so I've kind of done a tiny little intro already. I've said, all I've said is that you deal with something that um, is probably one of the biggest headaches, biggest issues that business owners have. Um, but it's one that often they don't think about until it's too late. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair assumption? That's a fair assumption. I, I, I like that introduction. Yeah, so because it, it gives absolutely nothing away. No. And so what is it? Because there, there are many potential. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so go ahead, introduce yourself. Give them the story. The story. Now, my name's Cliff. I am the CEO and founder of Business by Design. And the whole company and the concept came about when uh, back in 2019, when I looked to acquire more companies, I just sold my demolition business and I was looking to grow uh, my, my company portfolio through acquisition. And it was through speaking with dozens and dozens of business owners that I realized that for many of them, they themselves aren't ready for exit. On top of that, the, the companies aren't ready for a, a buyer and their evaluations and their view of how to value a business was, was ludicrous. And so I thought, well, let's go back and understand exactly the processes I went through to when I, when I first started a business or when I bought a business or what did I, what did I do to get myself to a position where I can exit successfully? And, and so over the last few years, I have um, taken this methodology that I've been using over the last probably 15 odd years, and I have now digitized it so that it's a usable tool for other people to use. Um, and that will allow a, a business owner to get a very good handle on exactly where they are from a, a business perspective, where they are from a personal perspective, and then from a financial perspective, because all three things have to be in play for them to successfully exit the company and fulfill whatever visions or, or goals that they may have. And so part of that process is to work on the business on how to scale it correctly and how they grow it. Because depending on, on the type of exit they are looking to achieve, it will determine how they're going to grow the business. So it's a, it's a flexible framework that allows you know, for, for companies that are starting out right through to seven, eight-figure companies who are looking to exit. So it's, it's a flexible framework that people can use. Fantastic. So there's a few things in there that I think are worth sticking into. So obviously, you know, I bought the business here at Green Umbrella. One of the biggest things that I had to get my head around was how to value a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of Googling. And came up with a lot of answers. 
I spoke to some people that I respected in the business world and I kind of, you know, and they were like, okay, what's the turnover and what's the, what's the net profit look like and blah, blah, blah. And I got numbers that were like so far apart that I just kind of thought, does everyone just guess at this stuff? Sometimes, yes. <clears throat> um, business brokers are, are brilliant at guessing those numbers and, and some accountants are the same. They, they just, like suck, literally suck their thumb and come up with some some ludicrous number, um, but I think the fact is that also business owners also overvalue the company because they place a lot of emotion behind that valuation because they spent the years, the time, the energy, the emotion to to get the company to where it is, uh, and so they they pack on an extra bit on the valuation because of the emotional factor. Um, but yes, to answer your question, uh, valuations are all over the place. It's a very emotive subject on the part of a seller, um, but it's also um, a very subjective part for a, for a buyer because we look at the facts. We don't look at the emotion behind the business. And so this is why I recommend, and so what, what I do is I, I use seven different methods to value a company. Uh, not all methods will apply to all sectors, but I always recommend that we use at least three. Now, the reason why we use three, at least three, is that it gives you a weighted valuation. And second of all, it gives you a valuation range. But more importantly, the way we do it is that we can show you very clearly how that valuation was calculated. Because very often I speak to an owner and say, what do you want from the business? And they go, I want a million pounds. So well, that's brilliant. That's great. But can you explain to me from a mathematical point of view how you got to a million pounds when your company is only netting 50,000? Because the maths for me doesn't compute. Uh, and so we need to know how you got to that valuation. So we use at least three, but we've got seven models available. Excellent. Um, yeah, do you know that's really fun. So I have a value, I have a valuation I want to reach by a by 2030 and um that number comes off of like to have that valuation the research i've done at other marketing agencies um that valuation is x amount of turnover at a specific 12 to 15% net okay and it's also based on x number of heads in the business mhm mm but that's because I read something I didn't understand that talked about EBITDA. But it but it made enough sense to me that that's what I've then hung like that. That's what I've hung my my hat on. But it yep. is absolutely like it. I may as well have just made up those numbers. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what we all do. So why don't we? Why is it that we don't know this stuff? Because it isn't taught anywhere. Um, and I say valuations, it's a tricky thing because if you were to ask 100 people to value your business, you could probably get 100 different valuations mm -hmm. because it depends on the, the buyer's risk profile, um, their buyer's availability to finance, their, <clears throat> their knowledge and experience. Um, it all depends on... So every, every owner is different, every business is different, every buyer is different, and you've got to try and match all three somehow. And so I think 
when we start to value a business, <clears throat> it's very tricky because we need to balance the emotion, the owner's understanding of what they actually want versus what they need. And that's one of the, the models that I've created is um, a model that looks purely at the cash flow that the company generates. So it works pretty much in, in a very similar way. If you were to um, go to a bank and ask them for a mortgage of, say, a million pounds, and if you're only earning 50,000 pounds, the chance of you getting a mortgage is very low because there's no ways that you can finance a million pound mortgage or for 50K salary. The chances of you getting a mortgage, say, of 200, 250,000 pounds on a 50,000 pound salary, that works. And so I look at the cash that the company generates versus the valuation and ask the question, can the cash the company generates pay for its debts? And if it can't, then typically the valuation is too high. So we need to look at really what is the buyer buying and buyers want to buy cash flow. That's typically what it is. And uh, so we need to make sure that the numbers stack up in terms of, of the financials, because if if a company is netting 50 grand and you're selling your business at a million, um, it's a pretty long return on investment for the person buying the business. Um, so it needs to be worth their while. So it's it, it, people don't know it because it's very elusive, very subjective. And it's, it, it's say every company, every owner, every buyer is different. So to put a, a number on it is, is different and it's difficult. Um, but also from a financial point of view, there's two parts to valuing a business. It's the financial value, which is pretty much looking at your books, looking at your profit, your turnover, things like that. Then there's a next part to it, which is transferable value. And that's what we measure. We need to measure what value is being transferred to a buyer. So should you, Christina, be involved very heavily in the day-to-day of running of the business, and you deal with customers, you deal with suppliers, you deal with staff, it's you pretty much the, the head person in the business. That means if you were to leave, most of the value will leave with you, potentially. So we look at that risk and how much value will remain for me as a buyer to make it worthwhile. And we also need to balance that versus the financial. You know, this is, so from a marketing perspective, it's like every time I sit down with a business owner for the first time and they're telling me what they need, what they want to achieve, everything else, I'm like, okay, What's your exit strategy? I love it. Because it is. It's like, pers- like ev- we all love personal brand. Okay. Well, I say we all love, I bloody love personal brand. Um, but, the, but this is, the, it has been the trend for several years and it will continue to be. And so we have business owners that they are building their whole brand under their own name rather than their business name. But then if you're planning to sell at that point that you walk away, the, the, the the, the the trust that's built built up the loyalty it stays with me it doesn't go with green umbrella that's right yeah and I don't think people think of because obviously when you're preparing to sell there are certain things you're going to be doing to make sure that you are the business is in its best possible position to be valued but things like marketing budget you're probably going to cut back on that because you want to show more profit right and it's like i i get it when times is tough people go like what what is it that i don't need oh marketing that's that put a line through that even though like it's the lifeblood of your business you know there there are there is no sale there's no sales without marketing at the end of the day but that's a rant i'll leave that's that's true um but yeah so it's a 
I mean, how often in the work that you're doing, are you going into businesses where it's like, actually, just from a brand perspective, the valuation is being affected? Well, I had a conversation about an hour and a half ago, actually, with, a, <laughs> with an owner in that, in that particular position, um, where he is the brand. He is heavily involved in the day-to-day running of the business. Um, and there's a lot of emotion behind that brand. He spent many, many years building it up. Um, it's his name, and he's quite proud of it, and rightly so. But when you come to exit, come to sell, unfortunately, because when people phone up, they want to speak to him, not someone else, that's that's where the issue comes in. So um, in our conversation, I said, you've got to just kind of remove the emotion from your brand and also you need to remove yourself from the business. So when people phone up, they aren't asking for you, they're asking for someone else, i.e. an employee or something like that. So you don't become the name and face of your company. Still, if you want your name on there, it's fine. Uh, but as long as people don't keep asking for you, which means if you walk out, the company can still continue. And I, as the buyer who is buying your business, will be confident that I can still produce the same results that you produced. As soon as that is questionable, that will impact the valuation. Okay. So what does a successful exit look like? Well, that's a great, that's a great question. That's a massive question. Um, a successful exit will depend on the the business owner. Now, for some for some companies, um, they won't be able to sell. Simple as that, uh, because they are technically one man bands. They are the business. Uh, they are client facing, and just by their sheer nature, like my wife's business, for example, she's a education consultant. She will never, ever be able to sell a company because she is the business. So unless you've got the exact same skill set that she has, the exact same contacts, um, experience, the whole thing, there's no ways you could buy the business. And so she will never sell. She'll never be able to sell. So the only way we can do that, and because the company got no assets, all we'll do is simply close it down. However, that's not to say she can't exit successfully because if we use the business in a very clever way, any cash that the company produces needs to be hived off and invested, ideally into a personal or financial plan. So we use the, the business effectively as a cash cow to fund the financial plan. For some owners, it's down to liquidating the company through, uh, I must state this, through planned liquidation, not through unplanned. Unplanned's bad, planned's good. So we want to go through planned liquidation. And provided that's done in the correct way, where employees, creditors, and everything is done correctly, that's a, a very reasonable and logical way to, to exit a business for some sectors and some industries. And then you go to selling. Now, selling is a massive thing, because are you looking to sell the share of the business or the assets of the business? Are you looking to sell externally? Are you looking to sell internally? Are you looking to sell to your family? And all of those have various permutations, various flavors, various tax advantages, various things you need to do beforehand to prepare for the particular buyer. So just looking at the, the definition of a successful exit is really down to how the owner wishes to exit, provided that their personal plan and their financial plans are met. So that is the definition of a successful exit. And it doesn't matter how you exit, as long as their personal and the financial plans are met, that is classed, in my definition, as a successful exit. Okay. 
Let's tap into the emotional side of exiting a business. So, mm-hmm. because this is something I haven't done, I created a situation where someone else exited. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, so, I mean, uh, so I am in a WhatsApp group and um, with some other business owners. And uh, I actually shared your details of this WhatsApp group um, a, a few days ago because someone was asking about M&A, mergers and acquisitions. And um, they were obviously like, just didn't, didn't know anything about it. Okay. This is like their first, you know, they're they're literally just starting to think about it now. Um, And I said, you know, we went through the MBO, we did this, we did, we did that. So, but it was a done deal on the day. She didn't, she didn't do an earn out period. He's like, what's an earn out period? So um, Julia had sold a business previously and as part of that deal, she had, I think she had to stay in the business like another year, two years, however long it was, okay, which is quite a standard thing, isn't it? That you've, you've sold your baby, but you still have to hang around. Yes, typically it is. Uh, depending on the DD and the due diligence that's carried out, we may put that into the, the SPA, the service and the sale and purchase agreement. But if you are doing it, if the, if the owners are a, a, a uh, obstructive force then we'll kick them up pretty quickly but sometimes yeah there is a typical six to 12 months uh lead time where they need to be on call as it were uh to help out so yeah typically is but is that not really like from an emotional perspective is that not quite hard it is and that is why um i keep kind of on my little soapbox saying uh, exit planning is simply good business strategy and you need to start planning your exits now uh, because the whole idea is I, I get it because I've been there. Um, you know, you start a business and you sell it. It's, it is emotional because it is your your baby. And um, what we need to do from, from very early on is help the, the owner to take away that emotion because that emotion will affect negotiations. It will affect how you see things. So by taking out the emotion, as early on as possible, they can look at their business, not from their eyes, but from a buyer's eyes. And that's why I've created all these various tools just to help desensitize the owner to that emotional part of the business. And the, the key difference here is if you can remove the emotional element of the business, you can see the company logically you can if someone were to value their business you wouldn't get upset if you you know if you thought your company's worth a million pounds and someone came and said it's worth half a million pounds you could ask the relevant questions of how they got to that valuation um, but you will know realistically what that valuation is you also will know realistically what potential deal structures could be an offer to you from best case to worst case um kind of worst case scenario you may take 100 percent of full consideration at worst case, in order to get out very, very quickly. So, what what happened to you, to you, your 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 personal plans, and what what happened to your financial plans? Should that happen? Um, so, it's really about understanding and the objective of the of the seller, looking at through the 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 buyer's eyes, and looking at the valuation correctly. And again, motion tends to overvalue companies. And it is difficult. And when I sold, there was one company in particular, I remember, and I'm not typically, I'm not very emotional. So, you know, it surprised me when it happened. I was ready to go. And 
in fact, I was actually in this in this office when, when we sold it, and it came in. We're going to sign the sell and purchase agreement, and I, w- I was quite excited for the day to happen. And when I put my pen over the, the my signature area to sign that I agreed to sell, I actually hesitated just for a split second, and I questioned if I was doing the right thing. I think, well, I've been through this. I, I know it's the right thing to do. The price was right. Uh, the deal structure was right. The timing was right. I wanted it to happen. But despite all that, I still hesitated. I thought, am I doing, should, I, should I be signing? Am I doing the right thing? I shouldn't be signing. And I thought, shut up and sign it because it's the right thing to do. But you have that hesitation. And I, I can sympathize and know I'm, you know, so I don't really have many or much emotion. So I can only imagine what it's like for someone who is, who has a lot of emotion and has had a company for 20, 30, 40 years, who's now signing it off. There's a lot going on. And the, the best way to reduce that emotional kind of anchor into the business is to understand and help the owner to work out what they're going to do post exit. Because if they've got no plans post-exit, they're going to question it. And they and most com- most owners who, who don't have plans post-exit will scupper the deal on purpose. Subconsciously, they will scupper it. And so it's really important to understand what it is you're going to be doing post-exit. So when you do have that little doubt, a little niggle when you think, wait, am I doing the right thing? You know you are because you've got plans to, to fulfill tomorrow and you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, the chances of you actually signing is really low. Did you know what you were going to be doing? Yes. Now I kind of went through the process myself. And that's why I kept saying, shut up and sign because you know what you're doing. You know, everything's fine. You've gone through this a million times. You understand what's, you know, the whole deal structure is fine. So just sign it. But that's why it surprised me. I still had that hesitation despite knowing everything and knowing what I was doing, having all those plans understanding the, the whole process, I still hesitated, which which kind of surprised me. Do you know, I remember, it's funny you describing it, and I remember, because we, we did the deal at the accountant's office, so I drove there, parked up, and I'm sat behind the steering wheel, like engines off, and I'm just sat there, and I'm like, do I actually really want to do this? Like, is this actually happening? So the cash is in my bank account, ready to be transferred. And I'm like, do I, do I, and I'm like, I've been, I've been doing a lot of work to get myself to this meeting. Do I actually want to do it? And it's never occurred to me that there would have been the same feeling on the other side. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it is, it's, a, it's, um, I think it, I was probably, it was probably more of an emotional day than getting married. <laughs> We might have to edit that bit out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, it's it's scary because it it is a commitment. Um, Like like marriage, it is a commitment. Yeah, and you know, I was I was taking on a you know a a team, an established business, a client base. It's um, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, it was yeah, not nothing. Yep, it was not nothing. Um. Okay, so you mentioned vision earlier. What's your vision? Personally? Yeah. Good question. 
Um, my 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 vision is to now the whole my whole motivation behind business is to serve people um, through whatever means I can. So if I can help people exit, scale the business, whatever the case is, I, I want to do that. And the, the the great vision that I have is to use my business for good. So you know. My wife and I have sat down and we said, look, how much money do we need to live comfortably? So we sat down, worked out our budget, and we worked out a, an annual figure. And we agreed that whatever money we make over that, we'll give away to charities or to good causes or whatever the case is. We'll look to help and bless people as much as possible. And so my kind of drive is to, A, get to that point whereby we have enough to live on we're all happy um, but we're making seven eight figures in the business that i could potentially give away i could build a, a school in africa or i can build an orphanage or i could um, help people who are struggling to to buy food whatever the case is i want to be doing that that kind of gives me a buzz and gives me the thrill um, but having a business we having a business is, is enough of a thrill as well. So I'm, I'm giving like a double buzz where I build a business, build something, I'm helping people in, in the business world, but that's kicking off so much cash so I can give the cash away and, and bless other people. So my, my big vision ultimately is to be in a position where I, I'm still in business. I think I will always be in business. I love it. It's a, it's a challenge. It's stressful. It's hard, um, but it's very, very rewarding. And then I want to build a very profitable cash-rich company that I can then go and use that for the greater good. So that's my ultimate vision for, for what I want to do. I love that. And I think this is the thing. It's so important that we have that vision in place because, like you said, you know, if you're going to sell, what are you going to do next? I, I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. But probably about two years ago, I really, yeah, would have been, um, would have been actually the end of 21. I suddenly realized that, and probably partly because of the experiences throughout the pandemic, I had just got so involved with my business that there was, I didn't have anything outside of that for me. So then it was kind of like, okay, what do I want that to look like? And turns out it, I want that to look like other businesses. So, um, so that's what I'm working on at the minute. Um, so it, but it is you your business can become all consuming and become part of your identity yep so when you're speaking to business owners and thinking about that plan and um how many of them you know do they have a clear vision already or is that something you're then needing to support them in finding what you just described there is very very common um, for most people I come across, they when they first start on the, out on their business journey, they have these great plans and visions of what they're going to do with the business and, and do personally. And as the, the company grows and develops, it becomes literally a monster and it takes up all their time. And they find that they sacrifice their personal goals, personal vision for the sake of the business. And they find that because they're doing that and they're working all these hours in the business, the business becomes the identity. So when they go to a party or they go to a dinner or whatever the case is, they meet new people, 
they they say I am the director of Green Umbrella or I am so and so, and they don't have almost their own identity. It's always attached to the business, and so when they work all these hours in the business, 40, 50, 60 hours, and they then exit the business, then they tend to find that they kind of float around. They have no sense of purpose, no sense of identity, because their identity has been taken away from them. And now they've got all the spare time available and they don't know what to do because they never thought about their life once they sold the business. And so they either end up making very, very bad financial decisions. Um, some people have their emotional, uh, mental, physical health deteriorate. And then on the extreme end of things, some people get divorced. Some people even take their own life. So it really depends on where the owner is and how invested they are in the business will determine the outcome post-exit. And that's one of the, the key areas that we look at is what are your goals pre-exit? You know, what do you want to do using the business? And then what are you going to do once you exit? Because you need to have a plan and you can't understand I'm going to play golf because if you retire or you say retire exit 65 and let's assume you live to 85, that's 20 years. What are you doing 20 years? So that's a long time. You can't play golf all that time. So what are you going to be doing with your life? So you need a plan and uh, we need to make sure that they take some time out and, and find themselves. And that could be going back to the sport they used to love playing. It could be football, it could be hockey, it could be cricket, whatever the case is. Maybe taking up a, a hobby, whatever the case is. Look, go back and say, what were your dreams and goals before you started this business? Who were you before the business? And try and find that. And so, right, we've got that now. What are you going to do once you leave, once you exit? Work out a plan. And then whatever, if you need to, you know, tool up or train up to, to have a successful post-exit, then use the business to, to train you or to get those hobbies, get those, you know, extramural activities done so that when you do exit, you can then start those extra bits that you want to do. So, yes, we need some time to almost pull the owner back, strip back the business and go, right, who are you? Work that one out and then move that forward. Um, so, yeah, I think we need – that's that's a very common thing where the owner's identity is completely wrapped up in the business. Not on not on purpose. It just, just happens. It's just over yeah. time, it happens. Yeah, I think it's um, – like I said, I, I for me, my passion, I, I love the team, I love my clients. It was like business and social were just all one thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's – yeah, I, I mean, I – I still struggle to keep the balance at times because I'm going off to do something and I'm like, hmm, is this actually business or not business? Like, how am I, how am I going to make sure that it is not? I, I'm like hanging out with people I've met through business. I'm going to an event that does have some business value to it. Um, saying that for the purposes of my accountant, of course. Um, but yeah, sometimes I, you kind of look at things and you go, okay, how do I make sure this is strictly not business right now? And then it, it can be difficult. Mm. Um, here's another question for you. So people exit businesses for a variety of reasons. Um, but do you see like what what do you think's most or like what what do you think the most common reasons are? Because I've known people exit because they've just wanted to like they've had an epiphany and now they want to go and do something completely different and they've they've left one business to start another one. Um, obviously health reasons come up 
Um, sometimes I wonder if it's just a, is there like a, you know, like in employment, they sort of say every like two and a half years, it's like you, you get itchy feet, you need to move. Is it a bit like that with with a business as well? Um, I think if, if you're talking about serial entrepreneurs, then probably um, they build something, um, they it works, then they get bored and they want something else. So those people tend to have itchy feet quite often. Um, but for the majority of people, it's it becomes to say it becomes their baby. Um, they love it. They love their staff. They love what they do. Uh, it's a, it's a whole thing for them. So they don't. Well, they probably won't move on from that. And so when it comes to exiting, it's typically down to the stats say that around fifty percent of owners will be forced to exit. So they have no choice. They will be forced. End of story. Um, very, I say, around about half will will choose. So the person you bought the, the company from had chose to exit and, and you were the person to buy it. So they are in the, the top 50% who, who chose to, to sell. But for the majority of people, the, you know, the remaining 50% and that number is growing slightly, uh, they'll be forced. And that's typically down to being completely and utterly stressed out. Um, I spoke to a, an accountant about three weeks ago lovely business, doing well, can do better, struggling a little bit, but she was completely stressed out. And she would take any offer you give her to to walk because she was just struggling to see literally the wood for the trees and to have a plan to go forward. And she just wanted to get away from the stress, the pain, the anguish. Um, the other people who have disagreements, co-directors, co-shareholders, major major disagreements when they first start out it's all lovey-dovey you know we'll never ever fall out we will be best friends forever something happens and they're at each other's throats um so again with that i always encourage people to get some sort of agreement in place typically a shareholders agreement or at least a, a memorandum of, of understanding to say what well, if things were to go wrong what's the process how do we resolve whatever it is that we're going to fight about um, then to say that illness comes in, disability or disease, that's another very, very big thing. Uh, it's un- unexpected. Um, the severity of the illness will vary. You just don't know. Um, and and that's this a- is why it's so important to be like always prep for se- Like I don't know if I'll ever exit. I, I can't imagine doing, I, can't, uh, I can imagine doing other things, but I can't imagine not doing this. Mm-hmm. But it's like I, I still am constantly like if like if I had an offer today, what would it take for me to say yes? What what that offer need to look look like? Because there's there's always a price, right? There, there's always a, there's always a price. Um, so what would it need to look like? But also, is this ready? Could it be packaged up tomorrow and given to someone else? And it, and it is like, even it's my baby and I love it. And it's such a big part of my life and my story as well. I honestly believe we all have to. I was On Wednesday, I was talking to um, some recruiters that they've literally just registered their business. Um, this, well, three of them. I think it's two of them and a partner. Um, so we think it's three of them. And I'm like, have you got a shareholders agreement? No, what's that? You know, it's yeah. like, what's your exit strategy? Uh, we've only just started and. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that is so common. That is just so, so common. Um, 
And, and people need to prepare for that. And that's like, say, being in a, in a perpetual state of exit readiness, because you don't know what's around the corner. Um, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, just uh, last week, I had news. and I had a, a teacher at high school who was my form tutor, very influential in my life, made a big part in my life. And to be fair, he's only eight years older than me. But last Thursday, he died. Oh, wow. And out the blue. So he was, what, 52, 53, and he just died. Okay, yes, he was a teacher. He wasn't in business. But, you know, I see it with owners. They sometimes just have heart attacks, strokes, whatever the case is. They die. And what happens? Life's unpredictable. You can't predict things. You can't, you, you know, you can't plan. You can, you can plan for him, but, you know, you, you can't say, I'm going to die in 10 years' time. You just don't know. Um, so it's about being prepared and understanding, you know, and, and, and saying, okay, if I were to get ill, what would happen to the business? If I were to die, what happened to my family and the business? Now, how would that cope? Now, you got a, you got employees, so you, they're going to be left stranded. you got a family, they'll be left stranded. So having a plan in place in your absence will secure their futures. So it's, it's, a, it's an all-encompassing process. And so I know people don't like to think about the negative and think about all these bad things, but you know it's like having a tra- it's like having travel insurance. You know, you know, I went skiing last month and I took out travel insurance, but I didn't take it out because I was going to break my leg on the slope. I took it out in case I broke my leg on the slope, but I took it out because you know I don't want to be stuck on the slope and get you know a ten thousand euro bill for it. So I take out the, the insurance and exit planning is like sh- insurance. It, you hope you'll never have to use it in, in a bad way. But should something bad happen, should life throw you a bit of a curveball, you're prepared. You can do something. And that's what I'm trying to get across to people that is not necessarily by, by having a company that's exit ready. You don't have to exit. You can carry on for the 20, 30, 40 years. doesn't matter. However, should you need to or should you want to exit, you can press that button and you're ready for it. Most people are not. But Cliff, I'm going to draw it to a close there because that just feels like a really poignant mo- moment to, to, to end things on. Um, I know you do a, a lot of work with businesses of all sizes working on this. So where is the best place for people to reach out to you? And there's two places, actually. Um, first is my website which is businessbydesign.co.uk. And then I've created another website where there are a bunch of free tools that people are more than welcome to use. And that is the smarterexit.com. Smarterexit.com. Fantastic. We will love a freebie. Yeah. Amazing. Again, thank you so much. There's been so much really useful stuff in there. Um, and yeah, I just really appreciate you coming and joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. 